Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war is something on the horizon that I am just not sure about. It's being interjected into our daily lives, our society. There is sort of this overarching theme that it's going to be in every aspect of our life. And in some degrees, it already is. It's it's very present in a lot of certain arenas. However, there are ideas that it is going to become so ingrained in the way that we do everything of our day-to-day activities, routines, jobs, that we won't necessarily be able to differentiate between sort of what is human and what is AI, what is artificial intelligence. This concept is very interesting to me because my brain has a really hard time figuring out how things like this work. I consider myself to be pretty intelligent and the things that I read and the things that I do, I like to stay educated, but how their inner workings actually work and the function of those things and how they are created, it boggles my mind. I still don't understand how the internet works, let alone artificial intelligence. But what I can tell you is that The way AI is entering our lives right now at present time, I think is a tipping point. It's a tipping point in our society from my perspective, based off of a lot of other things that I already see happening. I've been going down some rabbit holes lately looking at sort of this concept. Well, and it's not a concept, but the old world. Our society in the past, the way that we functioned, the way that we dressed, our day-to-day routines, our diets, the arts, the architecture, everything what now looking back seemed to be grandiose, very elaborate, very ornate, eye-catching, standout. I mean, you look at pictures of cities and the architecture from even look at maybe pre-San Francisco fire. You had these massive buildings, beautiful external sort of decor, if you will. And I'm sure on the inside, equally as beautiful wood railings, moldings, trim, fabrics on the window coverings, maybe plush leathers on the seating, marbles, just these lovely combinations of textures and colors. 
And I look around today and I feel like so much of that has been lost. And I think it's also why when I go into maybe a building like that, or that still has some of that sort of old charm, there is this excitement. It's not seen very often. And I'm not sure that it is appreciated as much as it should be to the detail and the craftsmanship that goes into creating things like that. And with the introduction of AI into our world, I don't worry so much that it's going to replace humans, as in the whole human. I think we have evolved enough, especially in the uh, mechanics that we introduced or maybe automated systems that have helped us in the long run. I think of assembly line or other technological advancements that we've been able to introduce that have ultimately helped us in our day-to-day lives or in production, things like that. So I know that some of that has already taken place. Man has been somewhat replaced to a certain degree by machine. And there is a lot of chatter. There is a lot of chatter about AI is going to come in and replace jobs and everything will be automated and you won't need humans or the human interaction. I know myself, I'm always going to need humans, whether that be a select few or a large group. I love humans. I thrive on the human experience and the human exchange. But what I will say is that I'm worried that AI is going to take away the beautiful things that make us human. And sort of looking back to that example of the architecture or these crafts, I don't think that technology has helped humans in any way advance our crafts. In fact, I think we're getting worse. I think we're getting lazier. I think we're getting more simple-minded. I don't think that fine arts and technique and that sort of raw craftsmanship exists much anymore. Let's just take, I'll I'll expand on that architecture example. Architecture in and of itself can either be very simple or very complex depending on one's individual tastes. And I totally appreciate that. I think I have those natural tastes to want something more ornate or elaborate where other people love a simple classic design. And I'm not necessarily talking about it from that perspective, not from a design aesthetic or what type of cabinet fronts you would want. I'm looking at it from a perspective of, I don't know that we are reaching our full potential in the products that we are producing. So out of architecture, there is this big trend that everything is just sleek and minimalist and no real, I guess, ornateness is the word that I would keep using in trying to describe the differences. But even if you look at home interiors or massive skyscrapers that are being put up, They seem simple, 
And again, I'm not talking about simple in design. I'm talking about simplistic in perhaps the human touch that went behind that design, almost like we're not capable anymore of producing something bigger and better and grander. I notice this also in art. You look at old artists and old paintings, and we have that Renaissance era, and we have all of these examples of techniques and the most stunning paintings or sculptures that are realistic and lifelike. And you know it took them hours upon hours to produce something so perfect and so beautiful. I've been to the Met in New York and just absolutely floored at looking at the history of art. And now, you know, I go on Instagram and art is a canvas laying on the ground and someone has filled a bucket up with paint and they've poked holes in the bottom and they swing a bucket and it swirls paint over a canvas. And now I'm not saying that that person doesn't have a creative ability or they didn't come up with that ingenious sort of way to swirl the paint over the canvas. But what I am alluding to is that perhaps all of this technology in our world is robbing us of our abilities to push a little bit harder and dig a little bit deeper and create a craft that is not quite so simple. Things that cannot be replicated or duplicated, in my opinion, tend to hold more value from a longevity standpoint, right? They're timeless. They're classic. They're recognizable. They have this aura about them that is just intriguing, and it invites you in to want to discover more. I'm not really invited in to look at a painting, whether or not I know how it was created or not, but certainly not if I know that it was created by swirling a bucket of paint over a canvas lying on the floor. As a school activity, brilliant. I think that's great for school-aged kids. As potentially this version of art being now what we consider to be kind of the, the peak of our creativity, that is concerning to me. I saw this other post on Instagram today, and it was sort of alluding to this topic, and it did add some fuel to this fire as I was coming into today's show, sort of talking about this. But this person gave examples of things in and around their city that they saw, same types of situations. They talked about the architecture, both external and internal in buildings and in homes. Also gave an example, and this I really loved, was a park bench. Showed this park bench from, I'm not sure what year or what decade it was from, but it was 
that had curvature. And on the arms, there was lovely design and connecting the bench to the back. There was some some scrolling and some metal work and it stood out. It was inviting. It was beautiful. It told a story and it compared it to this very commonplace now park bench that was just plain steel, slatted, a slatted back, slightly arched, obviously, to meet the curvature of your back, and a slatted seat bench to meet the curvature of your legs with, you know, what were probably one inch slats of plain steel. There was nothing special about it. There was nothing that stood out. It was simply utilitarian. And that is so disappointing. It's so disappointing to think about how we have all of these advancements and we're supposed to be advancing as a society and having all of these great new tools and technologies and yet our vision and our creativity is almost going backwards. Another example that this post made was just on just on street corners. I guess it's just kind of a post um, denoting that you're at this that you're at a corner. Really, I'm not sure what other purpose they serve, but the one picture it had shape coming up. And, and up at the top, it had some, some rounded, almost maybe like the shape of like a traditional Christmas ornament, if you will, um, peaked at the top and then a little wider through the middle and then it tapered down. And again, it was, it was green in color with some gold accent on it. And again, it stood out. It was noticeable. It was something that if you probably walked by, Maybe you would even run your hands on it. it it's, it's inviting. You maybe want to know the feel of that. Is it, is it cold? What do the ripples feel like? The texture of the metal. And in comparison to a modern day, it was literally just this steel cylinder. Smooth sides, flat top. Nothing to it. Very space age, if you will. Futuristic, but not in a cool way, not in a way that says, oh my gosh, we're a super advanced civilization. Look at this amazing silver cylinder that I put on this corner here. It's so simple that it makes me think simple-minded. I can't help but think that that is how AI is going to impact us. That old saying of work smarter, not harder, I totally get, and I'm a fan of it. I, in my day-to-day, I like processes that keep my day organized. I like to have systems in place to where I am maximizing my time and my effort and my energy. I don't like to waste any of those things when I'm doing whether that be a work task or tasks around the house, my, my chores, as I call them, or efficiency when it comes to my son and coordinating our schedule. And we have tools for that. 
right? We have our calendar that links to our email that can sync to our phone. I mean, look at, look at what we accomplished through the pandemic. We were able to still have somewhat of human interaction and face-to-face contact, whether that be through Teams or Zoom, the newer versions of, of Skype, which we used to have. But those were lovely tools that were implemented in a time in which we needed them to be implemented because we either had restrictions on us or we had personal decisions that we were making about having face-to-face contact. It doesn't matter. Those tools provided us with ways to maintain human contact and get our jobs done and still have efficiency in our day-to-day routines. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily bagging on the technology. I think that the technology has a time and a place. And if used correctly, we can have it be a part of our day that does actually make us more efficient. I don't think that all technology is leading us down that path. I think that AI and what AI is going to do is actually just make us more slaves to the system. I will admit to you right now that in my current job, I use AI. I have been using chat GPT as introduced to me by the president of my company especially because I stepped into a new role at this company that number one, they'd never had before. And number two, I had never done it, right? I came from a nursing background and then I went into a job as a recruiter, which I had never done. And then, you know, about eight months into this recruiting job, thanks be to God, the president of the company saw something in me that I certainly didn't see in myself, but he said, Hey, I think we're underutilizing you here. I would like to put you in charge of all of our company's marketing. I haven't done marketing before. I don't even really know. Sure, I know what marketing is, but I don't know what all goes into that. And me being the individual that I am, I, of course, have my own voice. I have my own way of communicating, especially with our clients that we have. I tend to put the best spin sort of on my emails and and my phone calls and my approach. And that may not be a good or what the entire company wants to have the representation be, Um, you know, maybe my voice doesn't fit with the whole big picture. So I think to myself, how on earth am I, what am I doing? What am I going to do here in this job that I don't even really know much about? How does this work? What does marketing even look like? So my boss kind of sat me down and we had this little tutorial and What I will tell you is that it has been helpful in changing my voice, which when I say my voice, you know, when I email a client and after we've had a few email exchanges, my emails are professional, but they are also incredibly personal. I want them to know through how they read that email, how they would you know, who they're going to talk to on the phone. They're going to get this girl. They're going to get this sort of bubbly, you know, chit chatty, really happy to be talking to you kind of person. They're not going to get this buttoned up, you know, uber 
nine to five sort of businesswoman uh, type person on the other line. And so again, the AI has helped me sort of channel what would be the Beth voice, but maybe put that in a model that could be applied to the entire company, if that makes sense. So I have enjoyed using it to write some email templates, to write some marketing materials, to write some social media postings, things of that nature. What I will tell you in using it, it does, it scares me a little to the point of, I don't, I I for sure could probably be replaced in my job because all it would take would be to somebody to, to punch in the same things that I punch in. So you do have to have the manual input of, you know, write me an email template for a client about this subject matter, make the tone friendly yet professional and mention these details. And it'll spit back, it'll spit back a beautifully written email. And then from that, if there's anything you want to tweak, you can go back in and say, rewrite a little shorter, but keep paragraph two. And it'll condense it, but it'll keep paragraph two and it'll be pretty darn perfect. And then you get to plug in your little nuances, your company name, your email signature, all the little particular details. So yes, me as a human plugging those things into that AI, I could be replaced, but it would just have to be with another human that could input all of those things, I suppose. But what I do find very, very, very scary about it is that I can say to this, I call it the bot, me and my, me and my marketing uh, cohort, we call it the bot. Um, we say, rewrite with a little humor. And it will rewrite what we want with literally the perfect amount of humor, almost as if I had written it. It's almost like the more you interact with it, and I think that this is actually the point, the more that you interact with it, it learns you. It learns your style. It learns your cadence. It learns almost the nuances, not necessarily of my personality. I can't go there because then I feel like I'm in this you know, apocalypse movie where, where the bots come to life. But it learns the tone. You can give it instructions to specifically hone in on a tone, which is very concerning because that's part of our human essence. That's part of our personalities. It's part of who we are at our core. It's part of when you walk into a room, you don't even necessarily have to speak. And somebody can sort of catch your vibe, see your tone, almost know how your voice is going to sound, what your storytelling is going to be like. And it can pick up on that. And it's wild. It blows my mind every time I use it. And I'm going to take a short break. And when I come back, I'm going to keep talking about this because I'm very interested in this topic in general. But what I want to talk about is 
some of the things, again, some of the more concerns that I have um, about it and what I think it, it really could look like in the future. So with that being said, I'm just going to take a short little break. I am Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time and this is World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. 
Okay. So when we left off at the break, I was telling you about my own personal experiences using ChatGPT and this AI and this whole sort of concept about it and how I am a little, I am a little worried about it. Again, I talked to the first half of the show. I don't know that necessarily it's going to fully replace humans. Maybe, well, let me backtrack. If you have an entire team, like the example for me, I'm a marketing team. There's two of us. Somebody has to input the information into the AI in order for you to get um, feedback. So maybe if you have a gigantic marketing team of 10 or 15 people, sure, maybe that could whittle down. Maybe that could whittle down to three, four or five people because you now have this tool by which everyone can be inputting their ideas, their thoughts, their their needs, their requirements, their requests into this machine and get the information back at an immediate pace. You literally type something in and the minute that you hit, you know, enter or send, you can see the little, the little type dots starting and it spits something back at you. Where I already find myself, and this is what I really think is going to be sort of the bigger picture for what AI might do, I find myself reading what it spits back at me. And I get a little frustrated with myself. I read it and I think to myself, Beth, you could have written that. You absolutely could have written that. You have an excellent vocabulary. You have, you know, you understand grammar and punctuation. You have that capability. Why on earth did you take the easy way out and plug that into a bot. I say that to myself every day. I use it every day and I'm like, oh, quit. Like, I almost feel, as I talked about in the top half of the show, like our creativity is taking the easy way out. We aren't relying on ourselves to engage in those very, very routine and mundane thought processes that we had always done and had always been doing before things like this came about. It's almost like every time there's a new technology or every time there's a new advancement, we do go backwards. We slip back into, um, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a lack. It's like a, we forget how to operate without that modern day convenience. I see people make reels on Instagram all the time and it cracks me up because it's so accurate how they compare now like distracted drivers, like put your phone down. And back in the 2000s, we were literally changing a CD. We had the visor flipped down with the CDs up in the visor holder. And maybe your CD player was even under the driver's seat. So you were reaching under there to put your CD in. Meanwhile, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have GPS. 
so you were at home printing off directions off of MapQuest. So you're fumbling around trying to change your CD and then you're flipping through pages, reading where your directions were going to go. And yet somehow, I don't think we were considered distracted drivers back then, but now that we have cell phones and we're texting and driving or we're scrolling and driving or whatever the case may be, we are distracted. But I just think that that's so hysterical, right? And MapQuest, when we printed those directions off, we at least had to read. We at least had to read. We had to know when we were going to turn right, when to turn left. We had to read the, the street signs to know. Now our phones literally just bark at us 200 feet, which I, I mean, nobody really, as they're driving, they're like, oh, is this 300 feet? Is this 400 feet? This looks about 200 feet. This is probably my next turn. No, you're just literally counting the streets that you pass before you get to the one where the blue arrow tells you to turn. We're getting worse. We're absolutely getting worse. I don't know that kids have any sense of direction. They don't know where we're going half the time. And every technology that comes about is making us worse. The tinfoil hat wearer that I am wholeheartedly recognizes this is part of the master plan. We are absolute slaves to these devices and these conveniences. We're absolute slaves. And the they, my famous saying, the they, they love it. They love it. They love that we leave the house and we have to have our phones with us. They love it that we're too lazy to go to the actual grocery store. So we just have groceries delivered or we're half lazy. And so we go to the grocery store, but then somebody brings our groceries out to us. That's insane to me, but also just because I really love going grocery shopping. It's like quiet time for me, but all of these modern day conveniences are robbing us of our innate human capabilities and our creativity. And I think some of our desire to tap back into that. I think we're so maybe, maybe addicted to our devices and the scrolling and these things that don't require much brain power that it has just somewhat muted that ability. And I definitely see it in the arts. I definitely see it in like architecture, which if you want to consider that an art, sure. But when I say the arts, I'm talking more so about like, you know, painting or drawing or the, those types of arts, I guess. I will even tell you that I see it in kids' handwriting. This is a theory that I totally, totally believe and love. And I think it's true, but they don't teach cursive anymore in school, which again, I believe that hand, handwriting is an art. It is beautiful. I have birthday cards and notes and letters from 
both of my, I say grandmothers, just because I think that that's more of the the motherly thing to do is to send the birthday cards and, you know, have grandpa sign his name. But both of my grandmother's handwriting was just stunning. It is perfect cursive and it's recognizable. It has, it's almost like a song on paper, if you will, you can, you can read it and you can, you can visualize the hand sort of moving in this very smooth and dance-like motion across the paper. And they don't teach cursive anymore. And when you don't teach cursive anymore, you can't read cursive anymore. My son is 13. He cannot write in cursive and he cannot read in cursive. Now, the theory behind that, which I'm getting slightly off topic, but I will bring it back, I promise, is that our constitution is written in cursive and all of our old important documents are written in cursive. And if we raise an entire generation that cannot read those documents in their somewhat original print form, they don't hold the same value or level of importance. And I 1000 trillion gazillion percent believe that to be true. Then you add in another layer of these kids coming to school and all they do is type on a computer all day. I'm embarrassed by my son's handwriting. And I don't think it's because it's a boy and I don't think it's because, oh, boys in their handwriting or whatever you want to say about it. I don't think he writes enough. They don't make kids write anymore. Everything has been replaced by an electronic by a technology. And with that even being said, now I'm like thinking as I'm talking, all of these other things are flooding into my brain and it's almost making me a little angry because now that I think about it, they haven't even taught him how to properly type. So we've taken away their cursive handwriting. We don't really emphasize handwriting or good handwriting in general. And then we've shoved a computer in front of them. And we the expectation is, is that we want them to type all of this stuff out. But then we don't even teach them how to type. He hunts and pecks around on that keyboard like a freaking chicken looking for mealworms. It's terrible. And of course, I can't tell him to do anything because I'm just the mom. So when I threaten him with ordering handwriting books, you know, to do over the summer, he's like, well, I'm not going to do them. And when I tell him, you should really try to focus on typing and, and figure out how to do it. I don't need to do that. So fine, whatever. He'll learn the hard way. But how calculated and how easy is that plan to do? So now that they're not even really, I mean, especially that generation, Me, I can see the forest through the trees. I can have this good balance between my creative brain and I love to do art and I understand the importance of it and the value of it. But I also appreciate technology and the organizational tools that it affords sort of my spaghetti noodle brain. But then we're going to introduce something like AI and have it even potentially take more and more of those basic skills away, just basic skills and basic like thought processes that should be considered a skill. Critical thinking is a skill and not everybody has it, clearly. 
we've watched the last three years of it just being like, I mean, really a roll of the dice. So thinking, you know, that, that old kind of, it's cliche, but that thinking out of the box, not everybody can do that. And I don't think that it's because people aren't born with that ability or they, they're lacking of it. I don't think that it's practiced enough or we live in a world where sort of the outside of the box thinkers are maybe thought of as, ooh, a little, a little too far out there. You're a little eccentric. That's a little bit wacky. It's a little crazy. And so instead of wanting to be called crazy or come up with an idea that everybody maybe shoots down or you don't want to say something that might be perceived to be stupid, you don't make those suggestions. And so over time and over time, maybe that ability is just stifled. You just told yourself over and over and over enough times that, oh, my ideas aren't valid or no, this is stupid. So I just don't even come up with those ideas anymore. There's no trial and error, really. So with AI coming along, what's that going to look like? Are we just going to abandon sort of our abilities to draft an email? Oh man, have I already done that? I don't know, maybe. To my credit, I will say that when the AI does spit out an email, I usually chop it up quite a bit. And again, I put either the Beth voice on it or our company's voice on it to personalize it, give it a little bit more pep, make it sound less robotic. But it's definitely a nice jumping off point. And maybe as I get more comfortable in this role and I start to understand really what's working and what's not working and what my goals are for the overall marketing picture, maybe I won't need to rely on it as much. Maybe I'm going to give myself that, that little bit of grace. But what I will say is it has been a helpful tool for somebody that's just, I'm learning, like I'm figuring out what works, what sounds good, what doesn't. And an interesting article came out the other day, talking again about this AI. And There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, and he is considered to be the godfather of AI. So we're talking big brains, right? Big brains that I do not, I can't even comprehend those those big brains. None of it makes sense to me. I don't understand how it works, but it's in existence and somebody had to understand how it works because they created it and they put it out there. Well, he, uh, Dr. Hinton, was at Google, and he recently resigned from Google. And in an article with the New York Times, which mm, it's the Times, um, but it wasn't, but it was an interview, so hopefully it wasn't chopped up too bad. He chose to resign so that he could, and this is this is a quote. um, He said, "I left." so that I could talk about the dangers of AI without considering how this impacts Google. Google has acted very responsibly. So clearly what that means to me is that 
he is looking at this going, Ooh, I see some things here. I don't want to throw Google under the bus. It's not necessarily Google. It's AI and maybe in general, and I need to be able to be free to talk about it. But that's pretty scary. It's pretty scary when the godfather of it says, Ooh, I'm concerned. The comparison that I would make is Dr. Robert Malone, who basically invented mRNA vaccine technology and is now incredibly outspoken against the COVID mRNA vaccines. These are people that we should trust. When they are the creators and the think tank and the brains behind these incredibly innovative technologies or these these new advancements that we think are going to potentially work, we don't know yet. And then they are waving their hands and saying, ooh, I don't know, maybe we should back up a little bit we should listen to those people. They know more about it than we do. They know how it works. They've obviously, well, hopefully they've put a pros and a cons list together or a trial and error list, or they've come up with enough scenarios of the what ifs and have maybe played those out to where if they're pointing the spotlight on some real case scenarios about the what ifs, we should probably heed their advice. And it is interesting because what he talks about is just sort of how it has the potential to be used for nefarious purposes. And that's the sad part, I guess, for me, is I'm just this little girl in Scottsdale, Arizona, trying to use AI to help me in my new job as a marketing manager, create some content, right? And then I think humanity stinks so bad that there are people out there that are going to look at this. And the first thing that they're going to see is, how can I scam people? How can I How can I use this to my advantage, which is potentially going to harm or hurt someone or something or a group of people? And I hate that so much. I want nothing to do with those people. And I think the majority of us are not those people. But those types of people always seem to end up mastering this sort of stuff and figuring out and making the biggest like the negative impact tends to always be larger than than the potential positive impact i guess and there is talk about how people could go on and use a, a number of these ai programs to write fake articles and that's the other thing Because this AI sources from everywhere, it's not considered plagiarism because it's reformulating its own sentences. It's pulling data from multiple sites and sources and the way that it's formatting it and, and writing it and presenting it to you as the end user, nothing has to be cited. 
Nothing's under copyright. So they're talking about how this is going to, you know, potentially be used. Well, they use the word disinformation, which I'm sure all of you know that that's got to be one of my favorite words, but it could potentially, you could write a fake news story easily. You could put in a few little scenarios and have it spit something out and you could, you could get that published or turn that in. The other thing that is very, very scary about this that I've seen recently is that the AI has now voice recognition software. And horrible people are running horrible scams to call, let's say, a mother. And they have gathered voice recognition data of that mother's child. So when the mom picks up the phone, the child is saying, mom, mom, please help me. Come help me. It's a distress call, basically. So a couple of things that they're trying to do, they're trying to get the parents to um, provide like a ransom. So thinking that the child is kidnapped and then another voice gets on and says, you know, wire us money, send us money. Um, we'll release the child, da, 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 da. Or in fact, get the parent to leave, go to a, a, a location and then they have a real life victim. And I heard one, I actually heard an example of it and it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And I think to myself, it's not that hard to, it's not that hard to have all of our voices captured. Think about how many times you call maybe for customer service somewhere and it says this call is this call being recorded or lord only knows what's happening on our phones when you send a voice message or anything of that sort our voices are out there just like our images are out there just like all of our data credit cards i, I don't really think anything is secure and to think that now our voices and a significant identifying marker of our sort of human essence is out there for the taking and for the dregs of society to be using and using this sort of technology to accomplish that, it's awful. It's an awful notion. And I hate thinking about that. But it's here. And I think that like everything that's introduced, we have to be savvy consumers. We have to decide, is this something that is absolutely necessary to my day to my day-to-day -day existence? And we can also decide as a society that we're just not going to participate. We should be very much in a mindset now of absolutely just saying, no, we don't have to do this. If enough of us did that three years ago, we may not be where we are today. 
So we've got to keep learning. We have to adapt to be smarter than the people that are trying to implement all of these things into our existence. Because again, everything that we're provided, everything that is viewed as a benefit or an an enhancement really probably isn't. Let's be real. It really isn't. If the government came on TV and said, we recommend everybody get back out into nature and go camping and put your bare feet on the ground and breathe that fresh mountain air and drink that natural spring water. I mean, I think we would all have coronaries. That's what's best for us. All of those natural and innate things as humans that we've enjoyed for centuries, those are the things that are innate and the things that will actually drive our success because those are skill-driving things. Typing something into an AI program doesn't take skill. And I just am worried that with every time we implement something like this, we are literally, we're literally going backwards. Like the evolution chart, I don't believe in evolution to that type of evolution, right? I think that we we evolve, but not from monkeys. But if you were to look at that evolution chart and buy into it, I think the dude on the end that's standing upright is is actually like turned back around. I think he's headed in the other direction. He's like, I'm out. I can't hang with this anymore. It's too much. And I'm not getting any brighter. Like I was better off using my tools. I was better off sticking, you know, a stick down into an ant hole to, to, to get my, my protein. Flipping over rocks, looking for grubs. I don't even know that people would know how to do that anymore. They probably have to ask the AI bot. So time will tell. Keep an eye out for it. If you haven't used it yet, I would encourage you not to. Just don't. Just don't even start. Hold off. And if it gets implemented at your job, maybe find a workaround to where you don't have to use it. Or maybe just be a super responsible citizen when you use it. And also recognize that we should still be tapping into our own natural innate capabilities because we all still have them. We're we're smart. We've come this far. We get up every morning. We get dressed. We make our coffee. We're capable of raising children. We've accomplished a lot. And our brains are magical and they are powerful and they do not need to be enhanced or have competition with an artificial intelligence model. We are better than that. So with that, that is all the time that we have for today. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. 
As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, and podcasts and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily where no topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time